my goodness, I have to try to talk after that. <laughs> good morning, folks. So good to be together. Welcome to the gathering. We're uh, glad you're here. Glad to be together. Um, I think the sun is shining. Is that right? Yes. All right. So um, last year, I turned this magical new age where I now get mailers all the time and emails for all kinds of senior discounts. And uh, it's lovely. It's really lovely. And, and I'm not personally to this point yet, you know, like where I'm looking for this sign. Um, but apparently, I don't need to. Because the other day I was in Walgreens, and the cashier there, who has to be 80 years old, right, asks me if I'm a senior citizen. And I'm like, taken aback. I'm a little offended, right? Like, and, um, and then she says, if you are, you get 25% off everything today. And I didn't skip a beat. I'm like, oh, yeah, I'm a senior citizen. <laughs> Absolutely, I'm a senior citizen, right? Just like that, all my vanity out the window for, to save three bucks, right? But you know, um, you know what's been even better about all that uh, than all the discounts is all of the love and the support that I've received from you guys as I age in front of you up here on stage. All the, the endless streams of, of memes and jokes and videos that you send me, hilarious, okay? Anyways, somebody sent me this video wondering if maybe I wanted this for next Christmas. Oh, yeah. Thank you so much. Just keep them coming. Does wonders for my self-image, right? So I don't have an Alexa Silver Edition yet, but I am considering this as my new catchphrase. Like, I don't know about that. I like that. I like that. That's my new standard response to everything new and techy that I have no idea what the kids are talking about nowadays. So, but the reason that I bring this up this morning is because we are going to go a little bit into the deep end this morning. All right, we're going to be out of the shallow. And we're going to, um, I'd love for us to have a little bit better grasp, a little bit better handle uh, on one aspect of the life of faith that I do think can be a little bit confusing when it comes to the gospel of grace. And, and it has to do with this relationship between belonging, believing, and becoming that we've been looking at the last few weeks together in the letter of Galatians. So we've discovered a couple of things. One of, one of them is this, that religion often uses belonging, like leverages it, really, by threatening exclusion, okay? So to get people to believe certain things or to behave in certain ways, they say, if you don't do those two things, then you can't have belonging. You can't be with us. And so they kind of conjure up some conformity that way. And we've also, see how, we've also seen how one of Jesus' first followers, uh, a man named Paul, in his letter to the Galatians, and remember, this is, one of the, this is the first thing written in the New Testament of the Bible, he's making this emphatic point that the way of Jesus and his gospel of grace doesn't do this. It doesn't leverage belonging. In fact, Paul insists that belonging comes first. Belonging comes first. And long before we believed the right thing or behaved in the right ways, God came to us to rescue us. In other words, we all already belong. We all already belong. So just like every child born automatically 
belongs to that family, every human being is a child of God. Period. Full stop. That's, what, that's the premise that Galatians is built upon. Now, we, of course, are free to deny that belonging. We're free to walk away from that or reject it. But it remains a universal truth and a universal invitation. So last Sunday, we considered this, how our belonging leads to our becoming. Or if you look at the other list there to the left, how our rescue leads to our transformation or our redemption or our salvation, okay? However you want to term it, all right? Um, but there are lots of ways to put it, and this is just a cute way that I like, belong, believe, become, okay? The point is that we absolutely do, we will begin to live differently if we choose to accept our acceptance, if we receive our belonging. Another way we've put it is if we choose to live in and to live out the grace of God. But more than a few of you, because this is, this is the bright class, right? I'm a teacher, and every, every teacher's got that hour that when they walk in, the class walks in, and you're like, oh, boy, these kids don't get it at all. But that's not you. This is the good class, right? More than a few of you noticed, we skipped over the part between belonging and becoming, believing. And you're right, we did. And I'm so glad you noticed because that's what I want to talk about this morning. How does our belief or our faith or our trust in God's unconditional love for us, in our universal belonging, if you will, his, and his rescue of us, how does that lead us? How does that inspire us into redemption or a new way of life or a transformation or a new becoming in our life okay so so that is what we're going to look at and and uh, this link between belief faith or trust that comes between belonging and becoming okay that's what I want to look at this morning so the writers of the Bible were convinced that our comfort in crisis and our hope for the future comes from the gospel of grace. In fact, one of the most famous verses in the Bible is a quote from Jesus. And it's often used to try to sum up the gospel. Jesus said this, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him may not perish, but have eternal life. John 3, 16. Most of us have heard of that before. But unfortunately... A lot of people have turned this into a lot of things. Most tragically, as we said last week, sometimes it's like a, it becomes a formula or a transaction between us and God. Something like, God, um, if I'll give you my belief and then you'll give me my ticket to heaven. Like it's this transaction between us and God. As if the gospel is a deal that we make with God. And then uh, in return, God does something for us. But that is a massive misinterpretation of what Jesus is saying here. There is no comfort or hope in having to perform for or purify ourselves in a way that satisfies God. I mean, can you imagine how difficult, how hard, how impossible that would be, how daunting that would be day in and day out? It's a game that we cannot win. 
So Jesus wasn't talking about that. He wasn't talking about this religious lists of to-dos and to-don'ts or some secret way to get to God or even about a new religion. The gospel is not about what we can do. It is about something that God has done. It's not about something that we can do. It's about something that God has done. Okay? Now, according to this gospel, in fact, there's nothing that we can do. No way for us to find, figure out, or finagle our way to God. Jesus' gospel of grace is not about anything we must learn or understand or have to think or a way to vote or even what we've got to believe in order to get God to do something for us. It's all about something God has already done for us. It is already accomplished. It is completed. In fact, the last words that Jesus says is, it is finished. It's finished, according to Jesus, through his life, death, and resurrection. Okay, so if we make it anything other than that, if we add anything else onto that, uh, we are twisting the gospel from good news into rituals and rules and regulations and beliefs that we have to do, obey, observe, perform in order to get to God to do something for us. It's a dreadmill, is what Jesus is suggesting. It's what Paul's suggesting in Galatians, and that isn't grace. That's just a, a different religion, okay? So this is precisely what Paul is talking about, what he is passionately arguing against in this letter to the Galatians, to the new followers of Jesus in this, in this place of, um, it was a, a region of Turkey, what we now call the, the country of Turkey, of Galatia. And so in one section of the letter of Galatians, this is how he tried to explain it. This is how he put it. I tried keeping rules and working my head off to please God, and it didn't work. So I quit being a lawman so I could be God's man. Jesus' life showed me how and enabled me to do it. I identified myself completely with him. Indeed, I have been crucified with Jesus. My ego is no longer central. It's no longer important that I appear righteous before you or have your good opinion. And I'm no longer driven to impress God. That sounds so good, doesn't it? Jesus lives in me. The life you see me living is not mine, but it is lived by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And I'm not going back on that. Is it not clear to you that to go back to that old rule-keeping, peer-pleasing religion would be an abandonment? of everything personal and free in our relationship with God, I refuse to do that, to repudiate God's grace. If a living relationship with God could come by rule-keeping, then Jesus died for nothing. It's a really huge point that Paul is trying to make in this book of Galatians. Okay? Now, I don't know how he could be more clear about this. The gospel is not about what we do, obey, get right, 
avoid or achieve. It's not. But if our comfort and hope comes from this gospel of grace, yet there's nothing that we can do to, to, to earn it, our question becomes, what is our role in all of this? What is our role in all of this? And what Paul is telling us in Galatians is our role falls between belonging and becoming. That's our role. Our role falls in between belonging, something that's already true for everybody, and becoming what we all want, transformation, transcendence, immortality, redemption. There's a million words that I could use there, but only that one starts with a B, okay? <laughs> so <laughs> I went with, with become, all right? So anyways, it, it's, it's, it's to believe. That's our role. It's to have faith. It's to trust in God. It's to trust in God. That's what comes between belonging and becoming. Now, there are a lot of things that I love about this community. So many things. So, so grateful. So thankful for all of you for Storyline. But maybe one of my favorite things about this community is that so many folks who are involved in 12-step program feel at home here, resonate with who we are and what we're doing. And that's very affirming to me because I just believe it might be the best thing happening in the world are these 12-step recovery programs and what the, how they lead people uh, into freedom. And my friends at AA tell me that the, the recovery begins with humility, which they define as stark, raving honesty. Stark, raving honesty. But honesty is something that we all know is in really short supply nowadays, right? Very short supply. And especially when it comes to being honest with ourselves about ourselves. And we, we each have our own blind spots, that's for sure. Like, my daughter likes to tease me about my bald spot, <laughs> right? And, and, and uh, but it doesn't bother me at all. And you know why? I can't see it. <laughs> doesn't bother me at all. But now, look, not every self-deception, not every self-deception de self works so well, okay? Now, I've shared this before about researchers um, on a college campus, and they interviewed a bunch of college students. They connected college students to a lie detector test, and they asked them one simple question, are you going to die someday? 100% of the college students said yes, and the machines said that almost all of them were lying. <laughs> like, they know they have to say, yeah, I, mean, I know I'm going to die. They don't believe it. They don't really believe it, Right? So we have an enormous capacity to fool ourselves. But, but the life Jesus is inviting us into, okay, to activate that link between belonging and becoming, we, it begins with stark, raving honesty. And, and our actual situation, which is what exactly? So it might be helpful to think about it this way. Okay, do you, do you know what would happen in a world that was like the opposite of 2022, like where we finally get it right. I mean, everything where humanity gets its act together finally. We elect all the right leaders. We pass the best laws. There's no pandemic or inflation or pollution. There's no country threatening to invade another country. What, what happens in a world where we have perfect equality 
There's cancer is cured. The, the air is pure. Weapons are banned and food is free. Heck, let's throw in there the Lions and the Bears win the Super Bowl. <laughs> Simultaneously, okay? Miracles all around, all right? What happens? Do you know what happens in that world? Everyone still dies. Everyone still dies. That's what happens in that world. In the very best world that any one of us could ever imagine, in a world, by the way, that I believe a faith in the grace of God impels us, compels us to work hard for a much better world and a more just world. And I'm not saying that it doesn't. But even in that world, life ends. There's nothing that we can do to solve our biggest problem. There is no advice, no system, no policy, no deal, no president, no transaction, or no religion that cures death. Ernst Becker, in a book that I've mentioned before, uh, he wrote a book called The Denial of Death. Absolutely brilliant book. And he claims that, like, we like to deny this reality, but much of our life is consumed with our denial of death. We take on what he calls immortality projects to somehow, some way, like, outlive the inevitable. And certainly, some of these projects can do good in the world. But just as often, they turn us inward. They make the center of our life, ironically, about us. Like, who cares about me? Who respects me? Like, who's going to remember me? Who's thinking about me, and what are they thinking? Like, it's just all, all of a sudden, your life is a hall of mirrors. And this is the best we can come up with as a way to kind of try to escape the inescapable. In other words, our life becomes consumed with what we can do, what we've gotten done what we can achieve or attain, what we can experience or accumulate before the end or accomplish or something to somehow prove ourselves, whether it's to ourselves or to someone else or to God. It is a horrible trap. The problem with this strategy, that going for these immortality projects, however they look, uh, for our comfort and hope, is that they don't work. It doesn't work. And the second problem is, is that it just as often creates hell on earth as your project collides with mine. As what you think has to get done and you've got to get done collides with the way that I think it has to go. Right? And all of that stress and pressure just makes life stink along the way. Just this week in the New York Times, they did a huge spread in the New York Times about what they call the Great Resignation. Maybe you've heard about it. Um, 25 million Americans have left their job during the pandemic. 25 million, right? And the rest of us want to, is what, right? It, it's something that they call, this is really, I never heard this term before, they're calling it the age of anti-ambition. Isn't that fascinating? The age of anti-ambition. In fact, so many people feel this way. So many people are burned out on their jobs. So many people want to quit or have quit. Psychologists recently coined a term to describe it. They call it quitagion. Quitagion. They're saying the quitting is contagious. Well, if you're going to quit your job, I'm going to quit mine. Right? Here's the point. 
For many of us, know it or not, like it or not, realize it or not, it took this pandemic for us to realize that our work was, or maybe still is, our immortality project. It's the place that we're looking for transcendence, that we're looking to touch beyond who we are right now, right? And the pandemic's revealed that to millions of Americans that it's a futile way to live. It's a dreadmill that we, ca we can't win that race. One contemplative writing thousand, over a thousand years ago, she was talking about the difference between the way of God's grace versus trying to make our own way in the world. And she described it this way. It is heaven all the way to heaven, but it is hell all the way to hell. And man, I resonate with that so much. I know what that feels like in my life. When I'm trusting in God's grace versus when I think I've got to make it happen for me, right? But our question remains, where does our hope and our comfort come from? How do we move from belonging to becoming or from lost to found or from rescued to redeemed? In the introduction to his commentary, um, Martin Luther wrote a book on the book of Galatians, okay? He wore his best hat for that. And so he, he wrote this book. I do not recommend it. Uh, it is no fun to read. Super smart dude. But um, he's writing about this very question because it, it feels like Paul is leading us to this place like there's nothing that you can do to get God on your side. There's nothing that you can do to make this happen, if you will. And, and so Luther asks the question right in his book, is there nothing really that we can do? And then he answers his own question this way. No, nothing. Next paragraph, <laughs> right? And yet, and yet, C.S. Lewis says this, God has never seen one of his children die, only come home. Beloved, this comfort, in, in crisis, this kind of hope for the future is something that we can all live with when we get honest about what we can't do. We can't defeat death. We can't achieve our own immortality. We cannot become transcendent on our own. We need to get honest about that and, and embrace the beauty of what God has done in the life and in the death and in the resurrection of Jesus by accepting our acceptance, okay? Through faith, Jesus' sacrificial rescue goes from something he did for the world to something that he did for me, for me, for you, for each of us individually. It's no longer an idea or a theory or a principle. It's personal. It's about having a relationship with this God who came to us to rescue us. Now, what we often call accepting our acceptance, the Bible has another little phrase called repentance and faith. This is the link of belief or trust that's between belonging and becoming. Belief. Trust, that repent, stop, 
your immortality project. Turn back to God. Trust in his love for you. That's the link that moves us from belonging to a new way of life, to becoming, to redemption, salvation, transcendence, transformation, however you want to put it. Now, here's the question for me. I got to this point in the talk, and I was like, okay, Mike, that sounds great. Why is it so hard? Like, my gosh, why, why can I know this, and why is it so difficult to live this out? And so I, I don't know. Like we talked about before, I, I don't know. I'm not up here with answers. I'm wondering out loud. So this next section is just super personal for me. So I don't know if, if I, I don't have an answer for, to that question. Like why is it so hard if I can just see it there on that slide? So nice and neat, right? But here's what I think is true for me. I am by nature like religious. And here, here's all that means. I want a system. I want a secret. I just, just give me the answer and tell me what to do so that I can do it. That's what I want. Now, Paul's insisting that that's, that is religion. And in fact, later in this book, he's going he's gonna to say, God set you free for freedom's sake. And that sounds good, and then it's like, oh, but then what do I do? It's like, it's, I, I, my heart is like hardwired to be religious. I want the secret, I want the system, I want the answer, tell me what to do, okay? So now, again, this is just me dissecting myself in front of you. Um, I, I think that's what's going on with me. In fact, as I was thinking that, my friend texted me this week. She told me she's reading this book and seeing how Jesus often asked all these open-ended questions, like we do here at Storyline. And then she said this, I really like, but I really like direct answers in black and white. And I'm like, oh, I'm not alone, right? We all do. She, but she really got me thinking about this. And I don't know ab about you, but I think this is why I return to religion or a system or the, just wanting the right answers. And here's why. Because armed with the answers, I am in control. I can achieve my own hope and comfort. I can attain my own belonging. I don't have to depend on God. I can depend on myself. And that's, that is what Paul is warning against in Galatians. Like if you add anything on to this gospel of grace, it inevitably is going to be about you. It's going to be about you. And he's telling us it won't work and it will ruin our life along the way. It'll ruin our life every step along the way. So he, he goes so far as to even want us to see, and this is now where we're kind of stepping out of the shallow end into the deep end, so hang with me, okay? Because this is the part that I think can get confusing for us, right? So Paul even goes so far as to, to he wants us to see that even our repentance and our faith or our belief, even that link, is not something that earns our redemption, our belonging, or our becoming. Now, now, if you're feeling like you need Alexa Silver right now, okay, I know how you feel, okay? So just hang with me. You're not alone. But this is what, this is what Paul is trying to unpack in Galatians, in this part of Galatians anyways. It's, is our faith, is our belief what earns our salvation? Is that what triggers God's grace for us? 
okay? And his answer is no. No, that is not how it works. So maybe this will help, right? I told this story, it feels like 50 years ago before the pandemic. So hang with me if you've heard it before. But years ago, I did hear about this story about a house. It's on fire. And there's a little girl up in the second story of this house, and there's smoke pouring out of the window, okay? And the people below run up to the window, and and they're begging her to jump, and she wouldn't do it. Her father arrives on the scene. He's horrified. He runs right up to the window, this horrific scene. He runs below the window, and he he says, sweetheart, you have to jump. See, everyone could see that her plan to wait this out, you know, her her idea of maybe if I just ignore it, it will go away, wasn't going to work for very long, okay? And here's what she said to her dad. She said, because all this smoke is coming out of this window, she says, daddy, I can't see you. I can't see you. And he told her, sweetheart, that's okay. I can see you. I can see you. And I love this story because I think it's helpful for us to see that we don't have to fully understand or see God to trust him. We only have to trust that he sees us. That he sees us. Okay, but let's carry this story out a little bit further, okay? This part, I don't, as far as I know, didn't really happen. But I'm just adding this on, okay? Suppose the little girl still won't jump. She still won't jump. She had another objection, like, Daddy, I can't jump that far. I'm not strong enough. I'm not good enough to jump all the way to you. Her father may have said something like, Sweetheart, when you jump, you'll fall. I see you, and I'll catch you. And maybe she objected, like, but daddy, your arms aren't strong enough. And he said, it's okay. He stretches out his arms and he says, I'm going to catch you with my hands. I'm going to catch you with my love. Now trust me in my love for you and jump and then fall into me. Fall into my love. That's what's happening in that scene. And so it's through her trust in her father's love, who she already belonged to, that she did jump and then fall into his heart. So cool. This is one of the videos that we did when we were online for about a year and a half. And I, I told Mike, I, I'd really like to do that song. He said, remember, we already did it. And, um, and I wore uh, my pants with one leg on it that day, he said. So anyway. But let, let's think about what the father um, was saying in this scenario, okay, to his daughter. This is what he's saying when he's below that window. He's saying, stop. Get honest about your situation. Stop trusting in your plan to survive in in any immortality project that you've got going in your brain because it isn't going to work. That honesty and that humility is what the Bible calls repentance. It's, It's repentance. But the father didn't stop there. He said, you don't have to do anything. You don't even have to jump all the way to me, I'm right here. Just jump and then fall. Just ju- you're not even really jumping. You're just falling out of a window. You're falling out of a window into my love. And this little girl was saved, but here's, here's the thing. But it was not because of her repentance or because of her faith. Now, how do we know that? Well, let's just change the scenario a little bit. Think about it this way. Let's say 
they, that all of that was going on. She had the stark raving honesty to know her situation was not good, the humility to admit her, my plan's not going to work, and, and the faith to jump out of the window. If her father's not there to catch her, she's in big trouble, right? Her faith didn't save her, right? Her faith, her repentance, her, her belief, her trust was necessary. Oh, now we're getting deep. It was necessary, but it's not what saved her. What saved her was her father's love for her. It was her father's love for her. So don't even, don't, what Paul is saying is don't even turn your own faith into something that like is good for me. Okay? Theologians talk about it this way. Faith is necessary, but unmeritorious. Okay? One of the ways that we've talked about it here in the past, I compared it to being at a Young Life camp and, and sunrises. I won't go into that whole story, but you, if you have to look east to see a sunrise. That's a necessary act on our part. If you want to see a sunrise, you have to look east. But looking east doesn't make the sun rise. The sun was going to rise anyways by God's grace. It was going to rise whether or not we looked to the east. And this little girl was saved because of her father's grace, the strength of his love for her, not because of her faith. And it's important to see that the father was already on her side. Already he was doing everything he could to rescue her. Too many religious people act as if God rushed only to their window because they got it right. They believe the right things about God. But if that's true, God isn't gracious. God is just making a deal with us. And that's as wrong as thinking, God will make the sunrise if you look to the east. It's, it's nonsensical. None of us believe that, right? Go back to this little girl. Without her repentance, giving up on her plan, and her faith in her father, in other words, trusting in his love for her, his grace couldn't save her. In other words, without her freely offered belief, faith, or trust, there is no link between belonging and becoming or rescued and redeemed or transformed. And that's a very different thing than saying that God saves those who believe in him because they believe in him. Okay? It's just saying that belief, trust, faith is necessary. Way too many religious people think God loves them because they believe, which is why it is so often so easy for them to dismiss people who don't believe like they do because they assume that if you don't believe right, then God doesn't love you and nothing could be further from the truth. My friend John tells me all the time, you've never met a person and you never will that God doesn't love. You've never met a person that God doesn't love. This is all we can do. This is our role in all of this. Stop. Stop the rat race on the dreadmill of immortality projects that makes life hell. Trust in God's love for us and jump and then fall into the heart of God. And now, 
life becomes becoming more like God. That's the project. And living lives of love and loving the lives that we live because of it. Do you see it? I hope you can, I hope you can see it. I hope I made sense. Do, do you see the beauty of it? Think about just one, just a couple things that this does. On the one, on the one hand, it utterly defeats self-righteousness because it is not about what we can do or what we achieve or understand or even what we believe. So it completely undoes any form of self-righteousness that anyone might have because they think what they believe is the right thing to, be, to believe. This little girl didn't do anything to deserve her father's grace. That means there's nothing she can do to lose it. And that should give us great comfort. On the other hand, it also completely upends self-consciousness. So it gets rid of, of self-righteousness, the gospel of grace, but it also completely undermines any self-consciousness about like what we've done or how we've failed or how we've fallen short or I'm just not good enough or I keep making the same mistake over and over. Because it's not about us. And that should give us great hope. This is the simple gospel. It doesn't just rescue us. It redeems us. And it transforms us. It's the link between belonging and becoming. Thanks. In the video we showed earlier, many of you will remember Kim Peterson. She was seen lead on that video. She grew up around here. She went to high school here in St. Joe, sang for Storyline for years, and in the, lives now in Arkansas. And during the, um, when we were online for about a year and a half, Mike did such a great job of getting musicians from all over the country together to put together videos like that for us. And Kim contacted us about a month or so ago to let us know that, um, how thankful she is for Storyline, uh, how much God did in her life in and through this community, and that she now does for a church in Arkansas what Mike does here. She's on staff there, leading that community. So beautiful. Now, there, uh, at my age, there may be a lot of things that make me go, I don't know about that. But I do know that's a beautiful story. It's a beautiful story of transformation and change. And it's so amazing to see that in someone that we know and we love. And I also know this, that God does not love us because of our faith. But he can't catch someone who refuses to jump. He can't redeem someone who won't be rescued. He can't transform someone who won't trust him. Because this, and this is why, this is why it's our faith, our trust, our belief that is the link between belonging and becoming, Be between being rescued and redemption. It's our, it's our belief that's the link between being loved by God and loving God. It's our faith in God's goodness for us that is, is between living a life of love and loving the life we live in all of the comfort and all of the hope for the future that comes with the simple gospel of God's grace. Let's pray. 
Jesus, we thank you for this time and this place, for this opportunity to be together. We thank you for your simple gospel. Your word tells us that even the angels long to look into such things, that there are so many layers of beauty and mystery to the gospel that we can look at it forever. It's not just for beginners. It's not just what gets us in the door. It's what keeps us growing our whole life with you. God, I pray that you would help us to see our situation and that we would just jump into your love. That we would take that the step from belonging through belief into becoming. Into becoming who you made us to be. Thank you for this chance to be together. God, I pray that um, as we leave here this morning, you would help us to grow and remain open, alert, expectant, and dependent on you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks so much for coming, folks. Good to see you.